Well, we're, uh, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians actually for the last Sunday. And so, yeah. remember 23 years ago when we started this, how exciting it was? <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. And it's kind of, if, in order to understand the passage we're going to be in today, you kind of have to think about what would somebody say at the very end if they were writing you a letter. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, when I would leave the house, My dad would always look at me, and this was my dad's statement to me. I'm almost ready to walk out. He's seeing me, and he goes, Todd. And I'd look at him, and he'd go, don't be stupid. (laughs) And I would walk out the door. That was his command to me. Now, what Paul's going to do in this passage is he's going to actually lay out five commands. And it's these commands, you have to understand them. It's like my dad, he loved me, and he didn't want me to be stupid. He wasn't saying it because he, well... He probably assumed I would be stupid, but he's just this, he's making sure that at the end of this letter, he wants them to know everything I've just written you about. Now live it. Like take all this stuff that I've talked about, that I've written to you, like make it real. Now the hard part is, is that the Corinthians were just kind of, and you remember we talked about this, they were, they were just kind of caught up in this reality that they were missing the point. Remember we were always talking about that if you don't think you've missed the point, you've what? Missed the point. And that's what they were doing. And it, it, it's kind of that thing that after you miss the point long enough, you know how it just kind of drifts along? And as you drift along, you don't even realize you've missed the point, but you're just stuck out in this island called Miss the Point. It, you just kind of get there. You don't even know how you got there, but you got there. Somebody within church put me onto this, this show on Netflix, and he's like, oh, you've got to watch this show. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So, I, you know, I, I started playing it. And you know how like you get to the end of it and you look at your spouse and you go, hey, we're, like one more episode? And then after that episode, what do you do? Should we do one more episode? I didn't even realize it, but at the end of it, I had wasted six hours of my life. I totally binged on this show. And, and then I confronted that guy and asked him, how could he draw me into sin? But we just, right, it just kind of passes us by. And it's weird, every time I ever do a funeral, the one thing I hear over and over, I go sit down with somebody before they pass away, the one thing they always say is, wow, it just seemed like life went fast. It just kind of passes us by, doesn't it? And what Paul wants them to get is, is don't let this thing pass you by. It happens so quickly. We, in the back of our head, we, we don't want to finish our life that way, but we do things in the middle of it because we're not aware sometimes we're doing it. And all of a sudden we get done and we go, man, where did life go? One day we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an answer for how we lived our life in a unique way. And so he's just saying, don't do this. Because you know this, once life starts moving on an average day, you don't mean to, but it just goes and your day is gone and you wondered where it went. I remember uh, two or three years ago, my wife and I did a vacation in which this hotel had a lazy river. And every morning we would wake up, and the thing I love about going to places like that, your only job is to put on your swimsuit. You need to have that on. And you just walk down to the pool, and every day I would just roll into the lazy river, and I would go in circles, and my kids are jumping, playing all over me, and I'm like, ooh, raise the roof, you know? And I'm just going around in a circle. And then I would roll out at the end of the day and I'd go up to my room and fall asleep and it was repeat the next day. Now the hard part is, is I feel like in our lives we do that kind of in the daily river of life, don't we? 
we kind of roll out of bed and our day kind of gets going and we go through this revolving thing. We get to the end of it and we roll back out into our beds only to repeat the next day. But Paul wants us to know that's not how life is supposed to be lived. And so these five commands, what they're intended to do is to show us and to call us to understand there's things that we can do that we can make sure that if we're living by them, we won't just kind of pass through life. We won't just kind of go from point A to point B. We won't waste our life. We won't pick your term you want to put on there. It's he's saying, here's five things I want to throw at you. And if you remember, it's just this guy that loved them, that was passionate about them, going, let me give you five things before I'm all done. Just five things to keep in mind. And we're going to be mainly looking at verses 13 and 14, but he's going to start off in verse 12. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 12 before we get to those commands. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 12. Paul's writing and he just says this now concerning our brother Apollos I strongly urged him to visit you with with our other brothers but it was not at all his will to come now he'll come when he has an opportunity now what in the world does that have to do with what Paul's talking about if you remember at the very beginning of the letter they were all concerned about this Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Jesus thing And he gets to the end of the letter, and this is what he's saying. You're worried about the wrong things. You're caught up in the wrong thing. You're missing the point. You're making this about Apollos and me and Cephas and Jesus and all these other things. You're missing the point. He'll come to you when you can. But don't miss the big stuff. Now, what do I mean by that? So often, we have in our own lives, we get caught up in stupid things, don't we? We don't mean to, but all of a sudden, these things that we get worked up over, it just kind of happens. I remember I was, I was riding in the car with some guy, and his radio had talk radio on it. And it was one of the talk radio guys, and the guy's just on there getting angry. And finally, I looked at the guy, I go, what's he so angry about? You're not angry too? And he just starts talking to me, and he's driving along, and speed limit goes, you know, I'm like, whoa. Why? He was worrying about something he had no control over. I come in here on some Sundays, and not to pick on you, but one person will say, oh, it's so hot in that room. It's so cold in that room. I don't like the music. I don't really like Todd. Josh is smarter. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like that. Paul would look at us and say, I don't care. You've missed the point. He wants us just to understand there's bigger things in life than the stuff we tend to get upset about. He's saying you're missing the point. And here's what he's going to tell them how to do. The first command he's going to give them to just get their attention is found in verse 13. And he just says this statement to them. Be watchful. Do you see that down in verse 13? Be watchful. That's his first thing. If you're not going to miss the point, here's the first thing you've got to understand is to be watchful. It's this Greek word, gregoreo. Um, Greg, that's how, is Greg in here today? Greg, the term Gregory, Next, when you walk out and give him a hug, look at him and go, what's up, watchful? And give him a hug. That's kind of what Gregory means. It means this idea to be aware fully of what's going on, is to, to have a circumspect understanding of life and to be aware. And specifically, it was used as like this militaristic term. It was the guy that stood up on the edge of the wall and he looked out over everything for an enemy, understanding that at any point, this enemy could sneak in and our city could be destroyed. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves then, and what Paul's talking about, is what's the enemy? Well, in 1 Peter 5, Peter kind of gives us the first aspect of who's our enemy, that what we're supposed to watch for. And he says this. He actually uses the term Gregorio. He says, be watchful because there is a real devil who roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If I'm going to keep from missing the point, I have to understand daily that there is a demonic realm that influences us every single day. The day that I wake up and I don't realize that there's spiritual forces acting upon me, seeking to cause me to miss the point, I will miss the point. Jesus talks about it from this standpoint, even understanding that demonic realm. He looked at the guys in Mark 14 and he said, guys, be watchful. Be watchful, he says, not to be led into temptation. In other words, what's happening, he's talking about, is in this demonic realm every single day, is there are weaknesses in our lives, and if you don't think you have weaknesses, you are lying to yourself, in which there's a real demonic realm seeking to tempt you into moving into this idea of missing the point, what's important about life. How's it happen? 1 John 2.16, it talks about this through the pride of the eyes, through the pride of flesh, and through just the pride of life. He just sits there, fishes. You see it in James 1, right? He just throws out the bait every single day. And the way that he's seeking to snare you is just to slowly and gradually be taken off into missing the point. In fact, by the time you get to like a Revelation 3 when he's writing to the church at Sardis, and writing to them, he said, be watchful. He said, you look alive, but actually what's happened is you've just become apathetic. You don't matter anymore. Ever feel like that? Or just slowly, you just kind of drift off and suddenly at the end of the day or at the end of a certain amount of time, you're just apathetic and you don't care. And this is what we're supposed to be watchful for. Paul says, understand, you've got to be doing this. It's a present tense verb, which just means every day that I wake up, if I don't want to get drift off into this, you need to be aware that there's a real demonic realm that's acting on you in temptation to seek you to draw you away and just make you apathetic. Cornerstone will probably not ever become a church that goes off the deep end theologically, but we could definitely become a church that becomes apathetic. We just kind of sit in here, Go through the motions, sing some songs, hear a message, sing some songs, go through the week, and just repeat. He said, that's what I'm concerned about. So in the back of our head, then, we have to ask this question. If that's true, if that's our natural tendency, which is to be drawn away from God, if that's what Satan's seeking to do in our lives, then how in the world do we, do we avoid that? And that's why he's going to give this next command. Look down in the Bible. Look at verse 13. He says, not only are we to be watchful or aware, but in fact now he says, I want you to stand firm in the faith. Does everybody see that, verse 13? You with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Good. Totally helps me. Thank you. He says, stand firm in the faith. It's this Greek word, staketa, which it, if you think about it, a stake, it just drives it in. 
He's saying to them, in order not to be tossed to and fro, in order not to be just a leaf blowing through life, just kind of existing, you need to stake yourself into something. And what he says you stake yourself into is he calls it the faith. Now, what is he talking about with the faith? Jude 3 talks about the faith that's once and all for all been delivered. Uh, 2, Timothy, or 2 Thessalonians 2.15 talks about these traditions that Paul had taught. In other words, what are we to see ourselves in? When he holds up scripture, this is what he would say, just to see yourself in this story. There's a reason that we constantly teach the story of God. And the thing that Paul wants him to get is that that story isn't just any story. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your story. When's the last time you read your Bible and just thought, dang, this is my story too. In fact, into this story, God intended it, and He wrote you into it if you're one of His followers. This is now what drives you, what you think about, the rhythm of your life, because you know this, if that story doesn't dictate my life, I will believe a bunch of other stories. This is what the Corinthians did. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 has to tell him, hey, take care. Chapter 10, he says, take heed. Even when he gets to chapter 15, he says, wake up. Why? Because in it, they had grabbed a little bit of the truth of Scripture, and they then grabbed a little bit of the human wisdom, and he said, you start to mix them together, and as you start to mix them together, that is the reality of what Satan is seeking to do to draw you away from God. Grab a little stuff here, little stuff there, You combine it together, and it just becomes a fatal mix to who we are. In a group like this, we tend to be a little bit more conservative. So let me put it this way. We combine a little bit of Scripture with a little bit of Fox News. We mix it together, and we become a group of people that get drawn away from what's most important. Now, if I were at a different church that was maybe a little more liberal, I might say we take a little bit of Scripture, a little bit of MSNBC, or if we're the church that just doesn't care, a little bit of Scripture and CNN. But in other words, we just... I'm totally kidding. But we allow those things to dictate how we think. So what happened this week? This week it was fascinating to watch Christians get so up in arms about what happened in France. Should we be absolutely brokenhearted to hear of people dying? Absolutely. But then all of a sudden, everybody thinks, so therefore, what are we going to do? As if God is in heaven going, oh no. What are the people of Cornerstone going to do now? Jesus, come here. What are we going to do? We get paranoid. We grab a little bit of truth and we forget the fact that our God sits highly exalted on His throne and nothing happens outside of His superseding sovereignty. Nothing! We just grab a little bit of lie and we mix it in and pretty soon God's people are frantic instead of being like God's people as they've always been. Our confidence is not in kings. Our confidence is not in horses. Our confidence is not in chariots. Our confidence is in the Lord. We just grab a little bit. We grab it from philosophy and psychology. We grab it from all these different places. And Paul says when you mix it together, it becomes a terrible mix in which all of a sudden we just get taken off into apathy. Chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians, right? The dude was uh, having a, a wrong relationship with his stepmom. And Paul has to go, what are you guys thinking? And they probably responded back to Paul, yeah, but you know, 
Don't judge lest you be judged. We're just a loving church. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? If you love them, go confront them. Don't let them sit in their sin. Go confront them. Chapter 6, they were going off. And you know this. They didn't just start suing one another. They forgot at the end of the day that actually this doesn't mix together. Dudes going off to have sex at temples with prostitutes. Chapter 7, the really good people then come along. Chapter 7, the holy people walk in and say, in order to protect against all these terrible things that are happening, we shall make a rule. No sex. To which Paul goes, are you kidding me? That's going to solve the problem. Chapter 8, our freedom is for me, missing the fact that Christ died, not to give us a freedom for ourselves, but to love other people. Chapter 11, the, the women in that group, they burned their, their head coverings. They're like, oh, get out from under these, this gender role thing. Lord's Supper became about me. Spiritual gifts became about me. Chapter 15, we grabbed a little bit of the way the world understood the end of, the, uh, end of life. We grabbed scripture and melded it together. And the thing that happened is Paul says, when you meld them together, it just moves towards apathy. He says, know your story. In fact, that word in the faith means to enter into it, to see yourself in it. So the first thing he says, and this is the first one, is we're going to gregoreto, we're going to be watchful, we're going to be aware. You have to understand there's a real spiritual realm out there. The second one is, is we have to be in the faith. We have to know Scripture and love Scripture, have it a part of our day and part of our week. But then he's going to throw in the next thing to this. Now, the one that's so fascinating about this, when you look down in verse 13, is after he says it, he says this statement, act like men. That's right. Men, while I'm looking at you today, act like men. Now, just to be clear here, he's not talking about manhood like our culture dictates manhood. So many of the older guys that I hang around with, man, they're always like, I tell you what, the 20-somethings nowadays, wearing that baggy pants, showing their underwear, that's not a man, or else their pants are too tight. If they just had right pants, they'd be a man. <laughs> I'm like, have you seen your shorts from the 70s? You need to let those fall a little bit, buddy. <laughs> If they just worked on cars, I was sitting in a meeting one time with a bunch of guys and they're like, I know what we need to do to help men be men. If they could just change their oil. <laughs> yeah. Manhood. Change the oil. <laughs> we'll take them hunting. Oh, yeah. You want to take people that wear tight pants hunting. <laughs> That's smart. I finally looked back at him and I said, did Jesus ever change oil or go hunting? Well, uh, he was a carpenter. Oh, so he was artistic. Wow. Paul's not actually not talking about this. He's putting together this word. It's called andredzithe, which it, it, it speaks to this idea of andros, which is man, act like a man. It's a general term. It's broader than act like a man. In fact, there's no female term for it. The, the Greek word for female is gunaikos, so they don't have a gunaikoste. That's not even a term inside of it. And what he's talking about here is not acting rugged, not acting tough, not acting all these other things. He's saying grow up. That's what he's saying. You need to grow up. He wants them to understand that he's, actually this word has a lot more to do with maturity. 
All throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, if we were to dive into it, we would understand that in chapter 3, he writes to them in verses 1 through 4, where he tells them, look, here's your problem. I wanted to come and talk to you like you were an adult, but I couldn't because you were a bunch of little kids. He even goes so far when he gets to chapter 4, and if need be, I'm going to come spank you, metaphorically. He even then moves into other chapters, especially like chapter 13, where he's saying we're going to grow up into something. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is grow up into what? See, again, we're going to blend this thing back together if we're not careful. If we start dictating manhood by what our culture says manhood is and not what Scripture says manhood is, we're going to create a bunch of young men and young women who become something that the Scriptures never call them to be. So we have to ask ourselves in the back of our heads, what is it the Scriptures called us to, 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 to form them into? Now, I probably should open my notes. Everybody talk amongst yourselves. Here's the question. Go with me to 1 Peter 2.2. 2. We're just going to take a little bit of a survey to understand. What does it mean? To, what are we growing up into? Because we better understand this. We're going to understand His command. Actually, I lied to you. 1 Peter 2. Did I say 122? What did I say? Okay. See, young people that are here, this is why you shouldn't do drugs in high school. Right here. <laughs> you need to grow up. Verse 2. He says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. What are we growing up into? We are growing up into the reason for which God saved you. God, first and foremost, did not save you for you to avoid hell. God did not save you for you to be moral. God saved you for something so much more. And watch this. Go with me just a few pages over to 2 Peter 3.18. He's going to tell us a little more about what this whole grow up thing is. Look at chapter 3 in 2 Peter, verse 18. Grow up into what? But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29, the goal of God is to conform you, to, to transform you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. When you get into passages like 2 Corinthians 3.18, is that the glory of God gets manifested so that we get transformed into His likeness. Go over to Ephesians a few pages back. Ephesians, look at chapter 4. Here's the purpose of the church, which is the same thing. Ephesians 4, look at verse 11. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Okay, Paul, what do you mean by that? To the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. When Paul says grow up, he says grow up into Jesus. Look like Jesus. One of my huge fears for my kids, and I look around at so many kids in here, is we're going to grow them up to be good members of society that when they stand before God one day, it's not going to matter a stinking bit. We say to them, grow up, go to college. Grow up, go to this. Grow up, get that. And as if they're going to stand before God one day and God's going to go, let's see here. Where'd you go to college? 
Yale. <laughs> Pound it out. Way to go. What kind of car did you drive? What was your job? Wow. You know what he cares about? He cares about what he saved us for, which is to look like his son, Jesus. That's what he's looking for. We are not raising kids to be good members of society. We're raising kids so that we might join God in what he's seeking to do in their life to look like Jesus Christ. So therefore, we don't have to do hunting trips and oil changing clinics and all these other things to get men to look one way. And we don't have to do, I don't know, whatever you women do to get them to look like women. We just thrust in front of people and say, you want to know what grown up means? Jesus. That's our goal. That's what it means to grow up. That's a tall order. No big deal. Sit around with my three kiddos tonight and say, hey kiddos, at the end of the day, we want you to look like Jesus. My kids go, why aren't you there yet? (laughs) Why? Because, oh, does it take a work of God. Look at the next command in there. See, he says we have to be aware. In other words, I have to understand that there's a real demonic realm that's pressing in on me, seeking to tempt me. I need to be a part of the right story. I need to stand firm in the faith. I need to know what it means to grow up. But this next part in your particular passage, it probably says be strong. But this, that's probably not the translation of it. It probably is more be strengthened. In Greek, you'll, you'll have these things, and even in English, you'll have active and middle and passive verbs. This is a passive verb, which means if I were to drive a car and I was active, I would be at the wheel. If I was passive, I would be in the passenger seat. This verb is passive, which means you cannot strengthen yourself. God has to do it. Colossians 1.28, one of my favorite passages that I live by, Paul is talking to them and he says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man and woman complete in Christ. And I do this not according to my power and strength, but according to what? His power, which mightily works where? Within me. How does that work? Go with me to Matthew 26. Let me show you how it works. Matthew 26. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and we find him wrestling. Um, Verse 36. Now watch this. We're going to find in this passage the exact commands that Paul's going to work through with them, except we're going to find this played out in Jesus' life. It says, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He knew what he's about to face. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here. Oh, there's our word. See that word, watch? Gregoreo. Watch with me. Be with me. Understand that there's a spiritual realm that's pressing down upon me right now. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The first part he's saying, watch with me. Gregoreo. 
The next part, he's looking at the father saying, I need to stand firm in the faith. Father, my humanity, I'm struggling. And then we see that him draws us that he, he, he has this moment of just maturity. Not my will, but your will. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. At the end of the day, what it means to be a man or a woman of God is to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll just do it. That's maturity. Verse 39, 40 I mean. He came to the disciples, can you imagine this, and found them sleeping. They had no clue. Peter said, he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me? Could you not, Gregor, with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Oh, there's a word. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. He's just laboring through this. Wow. Gesundheit. <laughs> All right? I know the Heimlich. <laughs> Go with me over to Luke 22. Let me show you something really cool in this. In walking through this, we come to this idea of be strengthened. In Luke 22, 43, after Jesus had cried out to God and wrestled with him, watch this, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Isn't that cool? He was watching. He was standing firm in the faith. He was then doing whatever God asked him to do. And what does God do? The moment that we do what God asks us to do, that's where we find strength. I see so many people that say, oh, I just don't feel strong. It's because at the end of the day, we are not doing what God is asking us to do. God will never strengthen you to do what he's not asked you to do. See, God always steps into those moments. You'll see this all throughout the entire story of God, is that when God's people look at God finally and say, God, whatever you want to do with us, suddenly that's when God steps in and gives them the strength in the midst of difficulty and turmoil. That's where he steps in and empowers them to do what he's called them to do. That's what Paul means by be strengthened. I'll always know when I'm at that place that I'm telling God whatever I want him to, whatever he wants me to do, I'll do because I just find myself on my knees asking him. People say, why do I get so much power from prayer? Because that's what God wants you, is on your knees seeking him. And when we find him, he strengthens us to accomplish the task. It's where we get to know him. It's where we find out who he is. But it's not just that. I love his last command. If verse 13 is a picture of unrelenting love or courage, verse 14 is a picture of unfailing love. Now just think for a second. Can you imagine if Paul wrote verse 13 and not 14? Right? We get done talking about it. We look at everybody and say, Gregory, oh, watch because there's a demonic world. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strengthened. And we'd be all like, ah! And all of a sudden, Paul comes in, though. But all be done in love. Kind of tempers it really cool, doesn't it? 
one day, um, and this is why you shouldn't have children later in your life. Um, I was playing with my kids, and I, my daughter runs to me, and I go to grab her, and I'm going to swing her, and, and all of a sudden, I, as I go to swing, my back just gives out. And I remember just thinking, I'm going down, right? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> and as I'm going down, all I can think of is bringing all my power and strength that I had in me to protect my little girl. We landed, I'm looking at her, she's looking at me, and, and this is what she says to me, oh, let's do it again. <laughs> I'm like, Lisa, help. <laughs> All that power and that strength that God provides for us is actually not for me, it's on the behalf of others. Without love, it just becomes meaningless. See, imagine I go home tonight, right, and I walk in the house and Barry White's playing in the background. <laughs> Come to the door and my wife says, baby, the kids are not home. As I walk in, she says, not only that, can you smell what I've been cooking? And in the back, I can smell steak. <laughs> Look in the oven and there's a big, fat, baked potato. No vegetables because you don't want to ruin this thing. <laughs> she says, baby, it's not quite done yet. So here's the remote control. It's already on ESPN. <laughs> she clicks it and I hear, dun-na-na, dun na I cozy down on that little couch. And then she says, not only that, baby, but you're going to sit out in front of the TV. We don't even need to talk. Eat that food. And I get to the very end of it, and she looks at me. She says, I want you to know, Todd, I will work hard for you. I will take care of the kids. I will provide nights like this, but I just want you to know I don't love you. Deflating. It's the church in Revelation. Ephesus chapter 2. Right, Paul writes to them, and on one level, that's the church I'd want to go to, man. It talks about the fact they were keeping out the Nicolaitans. They were working hard. Everything about them looked so good. No false teaching got into them. I'm like, dang, those are my people. That's what I want to be. And then he throws in in verse 4, but this I have against you. You've left the love that you had at first. In other words, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, if love's not there, who cares? Now just think about this. Can you imagine if this absorbed our thinking every moment of every day? I'm watching. I'm standing in the faith. I'm seeking to be Jesus Christ, seeking to have that form to me, the strength that I need, to love others, to bring all of that to bear for others. Don't you think you would end your life and realize, I did not waste it? Can you imagine a Christmas season this season? If all of a sudden we got done with Christmas and we were like, that's what Christmas is supposed to be about. We're going to do a whole series starting next week in which that's our goal. Is to help walk you through the Christmas season and not get to the end of it and just kind of see a bunch of wrapping paper flying all over the place and doing these different things. But our heart would be at the end of this Christmas season, we would look at each other and say, that's what we're called to do. Now for some of you in this room, you're at a place right now 
that you're looking at that going, I don't even, I don't even know what to do with that. If you'd like prayer today, because you know right now you are just sucked off into apathy, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're somebody that's in it and you want to get out and you want prayer. Maybe you're somebody that doesn't even know Jesus Christ right now. That you're caught up in the absolutely wrong story. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you up at the front. Maybe for some of you, you know that you should have been baptized, but you just haven't done it because you're not willing to say to God, God, whatever, today's the day to do that. But let's not finish our Christmas season. Let's not finish our days without knowing, man, at the end of the day, we lived for God. Amen? Jesus, thank you so much for today. Oh, do your work in and amongst us. Father, transform us into the people you desire us to be. Transform us into Jesus. With this church, not only go out to seek and to save the lost, Father, but would we disciple people and grow people according to what you want to do, which is shaping them into the image of your son, Jesus. Father, would we not get caught up in what the world says we're supposed to be, but would your word just saturate us and would we see young men and young women and even older men and older women grow up into Jesus. Father, would you do that supernatural work amongst us? In your precious name we pray, amen.